Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. All right, well, good morning. Um, this morning I've titled the message To Live as Citizens of Heaven. Live as Citizens of Heaven. That's scripture that's going to be out of uh, Philippians, actually. In uh, Philippians chapter 1, in verse 27, Paul writes to the church at Philippi. So if you've got your word, you want to open up to that. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in the book of Philippians. Let me just uh, acknowledge that we'll continue live streaming. We've been doing Wednesday nights. The Breaking Free session uh, will be on live stream as well. And so we'll be in week four for that Breaking Free those that are preparing for any mission trips or being part of a ministry team or just are interested in uh, going deeper. Uh, we showed, I thought, an amazing testimony, actually, of John Ramirez, an ex-Satanist uh, who gave testimony of what it was like to be on the dark side and then to be set free. And it was a great testimony. One of the things that really sticks out is uh, he was, he'd walked into a shop, I think it was in the Bronx, and it was uh, one of those demonic shops and showed lots of stuff there. And the photographer who was with him was kind of nervous, and uh, he said, oh, no, no, don't worry about it. If you're born again and the blood of Jesus covers us, they can't touch us. And over and over again, he gave testimony of the fact that even when he would try to curse Christians and destroy them, destroy churches, it was the Spirit-filled believers. It was the ones who are acknowledged. They're not the carnal Christians, not the ones that have um, kind of head knowledge or mouth knowledge. These are the ones that are truly followers of Christ. Um, he said, look, we just couldn't touch him. One time he did all sorts of incantations and he did blood sacrifices to try to kill this particular Christian woman and he was unable to do it. And he was so frustrated, he even had inter interaction with some of the principalities of darkness and he said, we can't touch him. So that ought to give us great, great comfort <laughs> in the times of uh, this kind of trial and tribulation. So join us again live stream this coming Wednesday night. We're going to go deeper into that and keep reading your um, ministry manual. All right, are you there? In Philippians chapter 1, in verse 27, I'm going to, I have a King James and uh, both a New Living Translation. It's a parallel Bible. The King James Version is the word-for-word -word translation from the 1600s. The New Living Translation is a thought-for-thought -thought translation, and I'm going to go between both. So, um, let me ask that you would open that to, if you have a New Living Translation or you're on your phone, to Philippians 1 and verse 27. Above all, that's kind of big right there, above all, like this is really, really important. Above all, you must, not when you feel like it, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news of Christ. Conducting yourselves in a manner worthy. That in itself, let me ask this question. When we think of citizenship, what is the definition of a citizen? Well, if you go online and you look it up, it's an inhabitant of a nation. If you're a citizen of the United States, some people have dual citizenship. You're, an, you're a citizen of another nation. So you're an inhabitant of that nation, but you are legally recognized by both the state or the commonwealth 
by either being a native-born citizen or what they call a naturalized citizen. And we know from the kingdom of our God in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that when we come to Christ, we are new creatures in Christ, right? We're brand new. We become citizens of another world. He says you're foreigners, you're sojourners, you're citizens of a heavenly realm. And so there's nothing natural about that. That's supernatural. But in the, in the nations of the earth, you can become either a naturalized citizen or a native born. Now, Jesus was obviously native of, of heaven. We've been naturalized. As we come to Christ, we have actually been supernaturally transformed as citizens of heaven. Well, let me ask you this question. Can you be a citizen of a nation and live contrary to the laws that are practiced in that nation? Think of it. I could be a citizen of the United States, and I cannot pay my taxes. I can violate the laws. In fact, the jails are probably uh, filled with people that um, they're citizens, most of them, but they're not living to the laws that are expected or at least laid down as boundaries in that naturalized state. And so, if you don't follow the laws, um, you can tear down the nation you can actually worse go be treasonous or undermine the security in espionage of a nation. That's betrayal. So the point I'm trying to make is you can be a citizen, but you can also not be living worthy of that required citizenship. And so it is in the heaven. I think that's what Paul was, was getting at here. He says, above all things, live. You must live as citizens, conducting yourself in a manner worthy. So this speaks of the lifestyle or the examples of how you're living. Um, I've been kind of meditating on this word all week. Let me give you, let me be transparent for a minute. As um, yesterday I was, I was heading up to my daughter and son-in-law's place to see the grandkids and had a load of stuff on my truck and I mean, it was, I was loaded up. I, and anyway, um, I was heading up I-40, which is uh, 70 mile an hour, but I had, it was that place where it was still 55 miles an hour and was about ready to turn 70. Well, I was in the left lane, and I guess there was a guy behind me that wanted to go a little faster than I was going, even though I was doing the speed limit, and he came right up on my back of my bumper, and then um, I looked in my rearview mirror and said, well, as soon as I can, I'm going to get over. Um, so I got over. Well, what did he do? He then came up, quickly got in front of me, really crossed in front of me at, not, at that speed, not safely. And then he slowed down, and he wanted to show me what it was like to be annoyed by someone who wasn't doing the traffic speed, even though I was doing the speed. And I found in me this, uh, all of a sudden I started to get this angry, irritated sense, my spirit, man. I was listening to worship music on the way up, and all of a sudden I am not in that place. I'm in this angry state of, man, who is this guy? What is he doing? I was doing, and I was just, I was doing the speed limit, and why is he acting like this? And this is unsafe. He's probably only, you know, 10 or 15 feet off my bumper, and I'm like, man. And then the Holy Spirit just came on me. He goes, so how are you living right now, citizen of heaven? <laughs> and I got this, oh. It's that small voice of the Holy Spirit that says, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is a gift, it's not the willpower of men. So love, joy, peace, and good, kind, gentleness, faithfulness, mercy, self-control, those things are fruits of the Spirit, right? It's a fruit. <laughs> and uh, so all of a sudden, I, said, I checked myself, got back into worship, 
and I blessed him, and then he put on the speed, and he was gone. <laughs> and so, the, uh, the message, this is where you get to live the message you're going about to preach, right? And so, uh, my, my desire here is when we look at some of the scriptures that we are different, we're supposed to be different as citizens of heaven. That's why he says, you must above all things live worthy of this good news of the gospel of Christ. Here's a couple of scriptures that help in this thought. He's speaking to the Gentiles. Paul addresses the Ephesians church. This is in Ephesians 2 and verse 19. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Wow, that's interesting. No longer a stranger or an alien to the heavenly kingdom. Right? He's speaking to Gentiles. You're now fellow citizens with the saints who are of the household of God. Wow, Paul was speaking about this one new man in Ephesians where both Jew and Gentile, those who've come to Christ, you know, we all come into that place. And once we're in Christ, we are one. We're one big family. Maybe different parts, celebrate different things, and not all times the family gets all along that well. And we'll see that later in Philippians <laughs> in chapter 4. So you're no longer a stranger and an alien. John 14, 2, I love this one. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. I go to prepare a place for you. Personalize that. He's got a place for me. It's a mansion. He says many rooms. Some of the translations speak of, so he's preparing for us. 1 Peter 2, 5, one of my favorite scriptures, you're a royal priesthood, living stones in the spiritual temple. A holy nation, verse 9, 1 Peter 2, 9, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. That's a nation set aside. Revelation 21.10 promises there's a holy city where Christ is coming down, descending from heaven. One day He's going to set up this whole kingdom here on earth. We know that from the Scriptures. He's coming back. We know from Ephesians 2.6 that we're already seated in heavenly realms. Even though I'm physically here, spiritually I'm seated in that third heaven with Christ who seats at, seated, at, seated at the right hand of the Father. One of my favorite warfare scriptures I use, and actually on mission times when I've been come up against extreme darkness, those who have tried to want to curse me with witchcraft, I often speak of Luke 10, verse 17 through 20, where it says, no weapon formed, right? Well, well you'll be able to crush evil. But it says, don't rejoice. This is in Luke 10, verse 17 through 20. Don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. You remember that scripture, the 72 had gone out on a mission field, two by two. They come back. The first thing they report in Luke 10 to Jesus is, did you know Jesus? Like he didn't know. You know, Jesus, that when we use your name, even the evil spirits are subject to us? And they're like, Jesus says, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then he corrects them. He says, don't get so excited about your ability to have power over darkness the thing that you should celebrate is your citizenship in heaven. That you're registered, he says. Some of the translations say, you are registered in heaven. How about that? We're about to take the census, right, in the United States. And so when you fill, I just filled out the paperwork on, online for that. And they were asking, so where do you live? What's your name? Who's in your household? Um, what's your origin? And we sit there, our registration when we come to Christ is in 
heaven. Jesus, that is more important than anything else. Yes, it's wonderful to lay hands on the sick, to cast out demons, to advance the gospel, see salvation. Those are amazing things, part of the Great Commission. But Jesus said, ultimately, what's going to determine where you will spend eternity is the determination of your kingdom registration. Now, turn with me on this one. This is interesting. I want you to see, are there privileges? Question for you. Are there privileges to being a citizen? Right now, we know that uh, Secretary of State Pompeo, and they're, they're trying to figure out some of our U.S. citizens are stranded in certain locations. They just sent military aircraft to another nation to pick up some people. Bring their, there are citizen rights. Um, when you get arrested in another nation, we've seen our president work on uh, the political uh, realm to go ahead and get people released. So there are privileges to being citizens. And guess what? There are privileges to being citizens in the United States. Turn with me on this Acts chapter 16. Uh, This is one. Paul's on his secondary missionary trip. And uh, it turns out that Paul and Silas, they end up in Philippi, which is the book we're in this morning. And while they're in Philippi, Philippi was in northern Greece, and there was a, a district there called Macedonia. So in Acts 16, Paul is in Macedonia. He'd actually been directed, if you read the rest of that chapter 16 of Acts, he was there directed by the Holy Spirit to go there, which is kind of interesting. When they get there, the first thing he does, he's doing the Great Commission. In verse 16, there was a demon-possessed slave girl, and for three days she's fallen around. She actually had a job as a fortune teller for some of her demonic leaders. And she would yell out, these men are servants of the Most High. This is in verse 17. And then one day Paul had just about had enough. It says he was exasperated, Acts 16, 18. He was exasperated. He turns and he says to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. And instantly it left. Well, at that point, the owners of the slave girl, they realized now she's lost her power. They can't make money, so they string up a mob. They come after Paul and Silas, and it says in verse 22, it says they stripped them and beat them with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape, so the jailer put them in the inner dungeon, clamped their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas start singing songs. That's always amazing. Severely beaten in an inner dungeon, doing because the Holy Spirit called you to go there. I'm here doing your work, and here I am, beaten in an inner jail, and they have this praise unending. That ought to be a message to all of us, even when we're in lockdown in our house, and wow, okay, we're not beaten, and we're not, you know, so this is this place. They start singing praises. Suddenly, there's a massive earthquake. The prison is shaken to its core. The doors are opened, and the jailer is about ready to kill himself because he realizes, even though he had no control over the earthquake, the jail's wrecked. And Paul and Silas are there, and immediately he gets saved, gets baptized. But here's the point. Look at verse 37. They come the next morning, the city officials, verse 35. The next morning, the city officials are sent, the police to the jailer, and said, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials said that you're free to go. Listen to Paul's response, verse 37. They have publicly beaten us without a trial, and we're in prison, and we're Roman citizens. When that triggered, it's like, uh uh-oh. See, there were certain privileges as a citizen of Rome. You were allowed due process. They were given no due process. 
That means you're allowed to have your case you know, reviewed by a trial jury. And so when they heard that, it was like, uh-oh. When the police, verse 38, when the police reported this to the city officials, they were alarmed that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So what do they do? They realize they could get in big trouble with Rome. So they apologize to Paul, and they send them on their way. Paul didn't raise that up. But I want you to see there was a privilege to being a citizen, and there is a privilege to being a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. But even though there's privileges or rights and advantages, there's also expectations and consequences for failure to follow the citizenship. Just like if you as a citizen of the United States refuse to pay your taxes, refuse to follow the law, then there are consequences to the violation of the laws of the land. So a citizenship is extremely important. And so it'll determine eternity, expectations and responsibilities. So I want you to know that there's a great, great privilege of being a citizen of this heavenly kingdom. There's not only protection, which we read in Psalm 91, there's also security. There's an army of heaven's angels. He says he'll send angels to protect you wherever you go, right? So you won't dash your foot on a stone. One day he's going to send the angels. It says the eastern sky is going to split wide open. He's going to send the angels out to the four corners and going to say, go gather my elect, the ones who have been marked. Do you realize you're marked? That registry in heaven, I don't know how they do this, but I know that they, the Lord knows that uh, those who are his. We've been in places where the enemy knows who we are and tells us he's not happy that we're here, <laughs> as if we care that he cares. So right now, we thank you that there's both privileges and there's also great. I want you to know that the social security benefits are really good in heaven. Your 401ks, if you have one, they're really good in heaven. I know those are heavenly uh, or worldly examples of heavenly things, but it is uh, actually out of this world. <laughs> I tell people when they're volunteering at the church and they're, they're really volunteering and they're working hard, I says, I just want you to know that the retirement benefits are really, really good. So... Take heart that we're, in fact, citizens of another land. Well, let's go, let's dive a little deeper in this. In Philippians, I want you to turn back to uh, that Philippians chapter 1. Let's, let's read on. I want you to see about this. There's some actual interesting words here that, both in the Greek, that help us to unpack this. Philippians 1.27 I want you to, I'm going to read King James for a moment, and I want you to recognize they interchange activity or uh, actions with conversation. It's interesting when you study this. It says, verse 27, King James says, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. The New Living says, above all, you must live as citizens. I want you to see that, at least scripturally, there seems to be a correlation between what you're conversing or what you're saying, there's, there's life and death in your tongue. You'll have what you say. You can bless or you can curse. We're warned in Scripture, be careful. But that is not separable from the activities. In fact, they're, they're so knitted together. And so, Paul writes here, above all, let your become as citizens of heaven. You must live this way. Conduct yourself in a manner worthy 
of the good news. That word worthy is interesting. It's the Greek word axios, means valued and worth. Also means walking. So, in a manner worthy, how you walk this thing out. It's one thing to have your mouth running and not to have the walk. Remember, so he puts the two together and says, let your conversation end your walk. There's another Greek word in there, polemeliai, if I'm saying that right. That's a Greek word. It talks about conduct, conducting yourself. So we know from Ephesians that we're seated in the heavenly realms. In, in Ephesians 2.6, seated in heavenly realms. I want us all to pick up, let me read on a little further in, in Philippians. In verse, let me pick up in verse 28. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they're going to be destroyed, but that you're going to be saved. So Paul says, walk worthy, let your conversation and your activity be worthy of the gospel of Christ, that which you represent. So we represent Christ, right? However we're living as our lifestyle, our, 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 our language. But then he goes, in the midst of that walking, don't you get intimidated in any way. So this fear of corona, this fear of uh, retro... No, let's, let's not be afraid. Paul said in 2 Timothy, he's not given us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. And so... When, when, especially when we're dealing with our spiritual warfare training that we're doing on Wednesday night with Breaking Free, when you come up against demonic darkness and there's all sorts of lies. I read the thing from Lester Summerall about the deliverance he did in Manila and how the enemy, I've seen this over and over again in the nations as well as here, the enemy's a liar, he int intimidates, he, he says things that are um, threatening, but he has no power. I've been in a place... I remember we were in Brazil, in Belém, Brazil, and uh, one of the guys was on a first mission trip. He had just gotten baptized in the Holy Spirit. He was with us, and he was ministering with me to a woman who was extremely demonized. She was a 15-year-old prostitute who had been involved in Macumba witchcraft, and she, as soon as we started praying for her, she went into a catatonic state. She was absolutely rigid as a board, and uh, we were praying, asking the Lord what to do. Actually started... Uh, just, just speaking in tongues, and, and all of a sudden the spirit, the dark spirit in the woman who spoke only Portuguese, turns her head, looks at my friend who's there uh, supporting her head, and speaks in perfect English and says, when I come out, I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill her. And then went back into the state, and my friend was really um, frightened by that. I said, well, his name was Mark. I said, Mark, they lie all the time. Don't worry. Mark is still alive, by the way. That's years ago now. So the, the intimidation, what he's saying is, do not be intimidated by what you're facing. Greater is he that's in you than he that is in this world. We know that this, I love this scripture in Romans 8, 11, One of my uh, papas, Jack Taylor, often speaks of this. He says, in Romans 8, 11, it says, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and quickens your mortal body. Boy, if we ever get a hold of how big God is in us, right, and how we represent Him in the earth, why would you be intimidated? In fact, the devil is so intimidated, we know that from our teachings on Wednesday night, what John Ramirez said there is that they're intimidated by you. They can't touch you. There's a bloodline. Revelation 12 says, we've overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
So don't be intimidated. In fact, it will show them. This is what he goes on. He says, it will validate to the enemy that you're going to be saved by God himself and they're going to be destroyed. So, wow. But here's another privilege, which we don't often see as a privilege. Verse 29, for you've been not only given the privilege in trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. The privilege of suffering for Christ. Woo-hoo. Glory to God. I wonder how in God's economy how that works when everyone else in the world is denying and turning and struggling and complaining and cranky about and you're in the midst of praising and worship God I'm just going to pray about all things and I don't know how that works in the economy of God but he he loves it he he obviously didn't even allow the Israelites who cranked and complained for 40 years to even enter the promise it was only the two guys <laughs> Joshua and Caleb who didn't right that got in. So it's like there's something powerful about being able to embrace even the struggles. Verse two, uh, verse one of chapter two, I love this. It says, is there any encouragement for belonging to Christ? And obviously Paul knows the answers to these questions. He says there's an attitude here. Is there an encouragement that you have belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort in this love? Any fellowship in the Spirit? Are you tender-hearted and compassionate? Paul then speaks like a father. He says, make me truly happy and wholeheartedly be with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and one purpose. So I want us to see as we live as citizens, conducting ourselves in a manner worthy with our conversation, recognizing we're seated in in the heavenly realm, setting our sights on the affections. Let's turn to Colossians for a moment. In Colossians 3, Paul writes this to the church at Colossus. He says, let's look at uh, chapter 3 and verse 1. Living the new life. So this is, again, he, he speaks of there's something different about the citizens of this heaven that live differently than the rest of the world. And we ought to be able to see, they ought to be able to see a difference. So when you're driving down a Northway and some guy is giving you the mess, instead of getting angry and like, bless him, I got convicted. So, all right, let's look at Colossians 3, verse 1. Since, this is like a done deal, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven. Well, I think we spend too much time set set on the realities of the earth. He says, no, no, no. Since you've got a new life in Christ, set your sights on the reality of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about things of heaven. Have you done that? Think about the things of heaven. Not the things of the earth. For you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God and when Christ who is your life is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. Well, that's bigger than my head can get wrapped around. But there's something about the people who understand this principle and it is a discipline. It's those who soak before the Lord. It's those who come, they set time aside. They, they, they intentionally focus on the reality of the one who's seated at the right hand. Paul tells this as a theme throughout. Then he goes on in verse 5, he says, so put to death the sinful earthly 
lurking things within you. That's like, <laughs> put to death these ugly things that are in you. That's a choice. You can choose to shut off stuff, stop thinking about junk, stop letting those words come out, stop being vindictive or angry or rageful. Stop it. Put it to death. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires. Don't be greedy. A greedy person's really an idolater. Worshiping things of this world because of the sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when you were still part of the world. Recognize now we're not, right? But now is the time to get rid of your anger, your rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other. You've stripped off this old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds and put on your new nature. It's kind of like the picture is clothing. Like take off this old dirty rag junk and put on the garments of Christ, the garments of praise. It's a discipline. Yes, there's some willpower in that, but it's also a fruit that we are in pursuit of. Then he goes on and says, verse 12, since God chose you to be a holy people who he loves, you must clothe yourselves, clothe yourselves in tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Woo. Man, that is like, but God, don't you see? Do it. Verse 13, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love which binds us together in perfect harmony. Make allowances for their faults. We like it when everyone makes allowances for our faults, <laughs> but we're told to make allowances for others' faults. So since the Lord has done these amazing things for us, I guess here's the question. How's your conduct? How's your walk? How are you doing in your walk? How's your conversation? What are you focused on? Since there are benefits we read in Philippians 2 of comfort and tender-hearted compassion and being in fellowship with Christ, well, let me give you this. Um, would you love to learn how to be content? Would you like to learn how to be content? Well, Paul tells us, turn with me to Philippians 4. Let me, um, before I read it, let me tell you what I believe I took out of these Scripture verses here. In Philippians 4, there's 17 verses, but if you boil them down, he, Paul says, I've learned to be content whether I've got a lot or I've got a little, right? He says that. Um, and so, in Philippians 4.12, let's see here. He says, well, let me read, let me read in Philippians 1 in a moment, but he says, basically, Paul said he had learned to be content in all things, whether he had a lot or a little. And so, let me read, first of all, he says here in verse 1 of Philippians 4, stay true to the Lord. Stay true to the Lord. Wow. Staying true to the Lord. Let's just meditate on that for a minute. Stay true to the Lord. 
verse 12, he goes, he says, I know how to live on almost nothing or on everything, and I've learned the secret in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach, with plenty or little, I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. What a perfect message for where we are right now. When we're restricted in going about, gathering, doing the things we like, a lot of uh, things canceled. Have you learned to be content in all things? Well, the first one there, he says, stay true to the Lord. That's in verse 1. So something about truthfulness with God. In verse 2, he's got two women who were actually very supportive of Paul. And they're, obviously they've got some issue going on between each other. And Paul is disturbed by their lack of getting, getting this worked out. And he basically says, you both worked hard with me, the good news. Now would you work together to get, get yourselves worked out, right? Because he goes on, he says, I appeal to you, Yodia and Sinti, please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you as my true partner to help these two women who worked hard with me in telling others about the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co- co-workers whose names are written in the book of life. So basically he says, these two women, they worked hard with Paul to spread the good news, but now they can't even have their conversation and their walk with each other worked out. He says, that's not good. Work it out. And please, he says, I guess he's speaking to the leadership of the church. Help them work this out. How else do you learn to be content? Stay true, settle your disagreements. Verse 4, always be full of joy. Is there anybody here that's there? (laughs) Always full of joy? Oh, Lord. I have my moments where I'm full of joy, but it's like staying there. It's like, don't worry about anything. Anybody worrying about anything? Worried about food and corona? Don't worry about everything. What do you do? Pray about everything. Verse 6, don't worry. Replace your meditation on worry with praying about the one who's able and pray about everything. Talk to God and thank Him. Verse 6, verse 7, experience godly peace. Wow, true contentment comes from godly peace. Verse 7 there, guard your heart and your mind. Then he goes on and says in verse 8, fix your thoughts. Wow. You know, that kind of fits really well with 2 Corinthians 10, right? Verse 3, where Paul says, the weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal, they're mighty to the pulling down of demonic strongholds, taking every thought captive. The word there, stronghold, is actually the Greek word fortress. Take every thought captive, because the weapons you fight with, they're not fleshly. You can't fight this in the flesh, so you gotta, but you got to do something in the flesh. you got to take that thought captive. So it comes in. It's not necessarily my thought. could be demonic. could be worldly. could be some other. And you take that thought captive, and you pull it down. Everything that raises itself above the knowledge of Christ, and you pay attention. There's another battle plan here in, in spiritual warfare. In Hebrews 5.14, it says, the mature believers have trained their samples themselves, have trained their senses. They, they pay attention to what's going on. They've trained themselves to acknowledge something is going on in my sense that is not good. It could be good or it could be evil. King James says, the mature believers have 
by reason of use, train themselves. So a mature believer says, wait a second, that thought, that thing that's trying to mess with me right now, I'm not having that. Put it aside, pull it down, and take that anxious thought and replace it with prayer and expectation of the goodness of God. That's what guarding your heart is there in verse 7, fixing your thoughts. So some of us need to fix our thoughts. <laughs> you got some thoughts that need fixing, right? Me too. Keep practicing your worthy conduct, verse 9. Verse 9, keep practicing your worthy conduct. And then he sums it up. There was, there was something really special about the church at Philippi for Paul. They were, they were a church that gave offerings to Paul to advance the missionary work. And in fact, when other churches stopped, they kept going. And he then gives this principle. It's an interesting principle. He finishes in chapter 4 there. If you, you gave, and I so honor you for your giving. Thank you, church at Philippi. Now I want you to know a principle. You give and God supplies. <laughs> and then he talks about being marked. So let me read this verse, these verses now. I think it'll have more context. Remember, we're in a place where we want to learn. This is a learned principle. This is a practiced principle of kingdom children. You can do these things to bring about contentment when the world is off on some scary anxieties and fears, men's failing, men's hearts failing them for fear. This is a wonderful description of how we don't have to behave like that or be worried about it. We can find this amazing grace. So let me read it. Philippians 4.1, therefore, therefore is there because that means everything that went before is now he told them to press towards the mark and the high calling, forget about the past, looking forward to the things that are ahead, that your enemies are who are of the cross. But then he goes on, he says, therefore, since all that, my brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you, and I long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Think about this. We read from Acts 16 that was the place where he was beaten, thrown in jail, abused as a, his citizenship, and yet there's an earthquake, people get saved, the jail. so he's now established in that warfare place in Acts chapter 16, he's now saying, you are my joy. Man, I love you all. You guys are amazing how you sustain me. He goes on and says, now I appeal to the two ladies who are having their issues, get over it. That's a good word to the church. You got something going on in the church or your family? Work it out. Matthew 18, go to them privately. Deal with your stuff. Because why? Because it hurts the unity, and it will actually hurt your contentment. There's a reason it's here. It will mess with your, when you do not do what this word says, Matthew 18 says, you got an issue with somebody? Go to them privately and deal with it. In Matthew 5, it says, if you think you've got, somebody's got an issue with you, leave your, your altar gift there, go and be reconciled. Why? Because if you have that lack of forgiveness, that's why he told us in, in Ephesians, don't let the sun go down on your offense, because it gives a stronghold to the devil. If you, if you camp around offense, I got issues with somebody at work, I got issues with this, I got anger at the government, stop it. There are, it doesn't mean you have to have dinner with everybody. You have to accept everything. There are boundaries you put up. But deal with your stuff or it's going to mess with your contentment. There's a spirit there. 
If you sow revenge and bitterness and anger and resentment, it will land on you. Galatians 6, God will not be mocked. What is sown will also be reaped. So if you do your best to work this out and it's not received, then you're free. All right, let me move on. Verse 4, Philippians 4, 4, always be full of joy. King James says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. That's a choice. I was ministering to somebody this week. They were having some real trouble. And they called me and I said, why don't you offer a sacrifice of praise? Right now you're feeling this dark, heavy discouragement, disappointment, work and all. And I said, you know what? Offer a sacrifice of praise. Turn on the worship music. And even though your soul is like down in the dumps and you're feeling, put your spirit man in charge right now and just worship him and see if your spirit won't lead the way for your soul and your body to come into alignment. Paul said he encouraged himself in the Lord, and he commanded his soul. He said, listen up, soul, right? So this is that place where always be full of joy, and again I say rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Hello? Considerate in all that you do. Somebody cuts a heady in the line. This craziness that's going on in some of the stores, right? Fighting over toilet paper. Why don't we be considerate in all we do? You want to go first? Go ahead. Have, go ahead. It's all right. Be considerate in all you do. Let everyone see that, and don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all that He has done. King James says, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. David did this. This is that encourage yourself in the Lord. It's so easy when maybe right now you don't know how you're going to pay the bills. You don't know how this is going to come about, how the kids are home from school. What about their learning? It's like we're in a different realm right now, right? Why don't we thank God for what we got? If you've got a place to live, you got food in the refrigerator for the next few days. The lights are still on. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name for what you've already done, what you are doing. Not thinking about what I don't have. It's a difference between focusing on what is lacking versus what is. That is a spiritual principle on contentment. And then thank God. There's something about thankfulness that just drives the enemy crazy. Thank him for all that he's done. If you do what I just said, verse 7 says this, if you do this, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. If you will do those things I just listed, stay true, settle your disagreements, be full of joy, don't worry about anything, pray about everything, talk to God, thank Him. Here's the outcome or the experiential result. You're going to find peace in God that will exceed anything that we understand. It says it passes understanding. In other words, your brain can't understand why the heck am I peaceful right now? Right? And people will come and say, why are you so full of peace? It's just God. He's just taking care of everything. You know, and I don't know, you probably heard the statistic that over 90% of the stuff we worry about never happens. And stuff does happen that we never even thought about. <laughs> so... 
you'll experience this peace that they, we can't understand. And then something happens as a result of this. There's a guard that go, that peace will guard your heart and your mind. That supernatural God peace does something here that is physically does something to both blood pressure, to longevity. There's a reason that they say Christians live longer. Hello, we have a hope that is not natural. It's supernatural. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thought. If that wasn't enough, Paul, he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. King James says it this way, finally, brothers, whatsoever things are true, whatever things are honest, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. See the discipline of the mind? Paul knew something. Here's a guy that didn't have a lot, put in prison, beaten, eventually he's beheaded. Keep putting these things in practice that you've received from me and everything that you've heard from me and that you saw me do. Then the God of peace will be with you. Wow. Verse 10, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again and how you've always been concerned for me. Speaking to the church now, you didn't even have a chance, but you didn't have the chance to help me, not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or on everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, plenty or little, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I was brought the good news and then traveled to Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me even help more, once more. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts that you sent me. They are the sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply your needs from the glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ. Now, all glory to God our Father forever and ever. I want to finish this morning, conclude with the fact that we're marked as citizens and this world is really not our home. Let's turn to Hebrews 11 for a moment and look at what the writer of Hebrews talks about this heavenly home, this world that is not our permanent home. Let's look at um, Hebrews 13. Let's look at verse 14. Verse 14, the King New Living says it this way, For the world is not our permanent home. We're looking for a home yet to come. King James says, For here have we no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. See, he's connected with 
the kingdom city that's spoken of in the book of Revelation. So the Hebrew writer, after all of that, the faith chapters and all the things that were described here, he says, I want you to know that this is not where we live, but we're looking for a new permanent home. That's what Jesus said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. This continual city, this is interesting. We have no continuing city here. When we get a hold of that, the cities that we're going to live in, and we actually are seated in heavenly realms right now, are there. That's why you can have peace that is otherworldly. Turn back in uh, Hebrews eleven sixteen, same theme here. It says in Hebrews 11, in verse 16, that is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because in verse 16, they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. This is this whole chapter of faith, and he talks about faith as a substance of things hoped for, the evidence, and then he goes through this hall of faith of all those who walked in faith, Enoch and Abraham and Isaac, and he goes in verse 13, all these peoples died still believing God had a promise for them. They didn't receive it. This, that's why they're waiting for us, right? They agreed. In verse, this is Hebrews 11, look at verse 13. It says, they saw this from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads on this earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for a country that came from, they would have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to call them their God. See, there's something about this attitude, there's something about citizenship revelation of I am not of this place. Yes, I'm here, and yes, I will serve the Lord while we're here with everything we have. But there is a supernatural contentment. There is a revelation of citizenship. I'm marked by heaven, and therefore I live in a place that is not of this world. That's why when people see us, I'm getting zapped right now, so I know the Holy Spirit is on this. When people see that we are from this revelation of another kingdom, there's something supernatural in the peace that comes that says, I got to know what you know. What, what is it? You're different. Why is everybody freaking out and you're not? God is my provider. It's going to be all right. I've learned to be content. So there's something about this revelation of living as citizens of another heaven. Let's look at uh, Revelation 22. This, this uh, Revelation 21 and 22 is such a, you know, it's the end of the book. <laughs> Yeah, we read that, and you know that. We win, right? And so, in Revelation, let's look at 21-27. Nothing evil will be allowed. This is verse 27, Revelation 21-27. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter, nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. There's the citizenship registry. 
It's the Lamb's book. If you're not saved this morning, please, if you don't know who Christ is, if you were to die right now and you don't know where you're going, what an opportunity to just get on your knees, pull over if you're driving, set some time aside, go shut yourself in a place of quietness, get before God. Say, Lord, I want to be one of those things Pastor Tom's talking. I want to be a citizen of this realm. I want my name written in that book. I want, I want to know that I know. We know, it says the Holy Spirit makes witness that we know that we know. I know I belong to Him. If you don't know, then you need that revelation. It starts with confessing the Lord Jesus Christ, believing in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, and you will be saved. Just get quiet and surrender. God, I ask for forgiveness for all of my past, the things I've done. But pastor, you don't know what I've done. The Lord knows what we've done, and yet the blood of Jesus, that royal blood, paid for the sins as far as the east is from the west. Get quiet and know. Get your name written in the Lamb's book. It's only by Him He came to die. We've all sinned. We all fall, fall short of the glory. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for those who call themselves the ones who belong to Him, sons and daughters. He becomes the Lord of the life of those. That citizenship gives us this guarantee because you're not going to be allowed in that heavenly realm unless your name is written in the book. But then here's this promise. Look at chapter 22 and verse 4. They will see him face to face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Wow. Wow. Says in verse one that the angel showed a river. This is the river of water of life. This is what we believe in. In global river is part of our statement of faith here, and we want to be a global river that goes. In Ezekiel forty-seven, it says it goes, and we keep going deeper and deeper in the Lord. This river here that's described is that same river of life that wants to go into all the nations. It flows from the throne. It says it comes from the throne room of God. It flows down the main street. It brings a new tree of life in the crops and fruit. Crops grow there. It heals the nation. It becomes the medicine to heal the nations. Lord, would you do that now? We need the nations to be healed, that this coronavirus would bow to the name of Jesus Christ. You would destroy this virus in Jesus' name and save people's lives. We're no longer there, and the curse, verse 3 says, upon anything, the throne of God and the Lamb are there. The servants worship Him there. They will see Him face to face and their names, his name is written on their foreheads. I believe that's part of what Ezekiel talked about in the marker, go and mark the people. Somehow in the supernatural realm, his name is written, Christ ones, the people of the way, belonging to him. And so we celebrate the fact that we belong to the one who is. And citizens of heaven whose names are written in the Lamb's book, so I want to thank you for joining us today, that you'll meditate on this word, that it will bring life to you, that in places where um, you're struggling right now, the, any fear, anxiety, don't hesitate. You can call the church at 910-392-2899. You can go on our website, pick up live stream. You will also have these, um, we'll both live stream our children's ministry our Spanish ministry has been live streaming as we do, have been doing this one as well. So we can stay connected. So right now, Lord, I want to just pray. 
I want to read this out of um, the book of Jude. I love Jesus' half-brother. Remember, they were skeptical of Jesus, and then they realized he was the Messiah. And Jude writes this amazing book. It's only one chapter just before Revelation, and he calls everyone to remain faithful. And then he finishes almost with a, an ending or a doxology of praise and encouragement. So let me pray this over you now. Just receive this. This is from Jude chapter 20, uh, Jude 1, 20. Now you dear friends, build each other up in your most holy faith. Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourself safe in God's love. You must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy still to others, but do so with great caution. Hate the sins that contaminate their lives. Now unto him who's able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding great joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for being with us. Keep strong in Jesus' name. Amen.